Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Good day. I hope you are happy, joyous, and free, even during these challenging times. Think about the possibility that there is a message in all of this for you. Just open your mind and your heart to the possibility that this isn't all meaningless and that indeed nature does have a way of sending messages. And that indeed, we have not been listening to nature's messages. Where did this all begin? It began in a slaughterhouse. People don't want to talk about that. They are absolutely um, almost terrified, I would say, of the conversation, Uh, except those who are actually already aware of the importance of this issue. Um, So right now, I am absolutely delighted to introduce two of my heroes, young people who are changing the world, and we've managed to pull it off. We've got Ryuji Chua in France and Rain Bruno here in Los Angeles, Um, and we are all social distancing. Ryuji... Thank you for joining us from Paris. What is your perspective on the coronavirus crisis, the big picture, what nature is telling us? Well, uh, thanks for for having us on, Jane. We really appreciate it. So, perspective is just knowing what facts are. I mean, I don't really have a personal opinion on the matter. I think I have more of a of a somewhat of an understanding of what the experts and the scientists are saying on the issue. Uh, which is that this is a zoonotic disease that's in great parts originated from our exploitation of animals. And uh, I don't know if you call it a perspective, but that is for sure what seems to be the scientific consensus. So, you know, I guess that's what I would say my perspective is on the issue. So, Rain, let me ask you, uh, and you need to unmute yourself, my dear. Keep yourself unmuted. Um, You as a young person, because I feel that the younger generation has a very different perspective on this entire crisis than the older generation. The older generation is pretty much just pretty much reactive. Oh, you know, we've got to deal with the crisis. Of course, we have to deal with the crisis. And of course, we have compassion for people who are sick and who are dying. Yes, they are not mutually exclusive. The idea that somehow we can talk about the cause and the lesson or talk about how we're going to help people and save people, that it's an either or is nonsense. And that's just another way of allowing people to maintain their cognitive dissonance about their own behavior and their willful denial. When I text people, good friends who are not involved in the vegan movement, and I say, nature has a message for us in this, think about where it started, no reply, no reply. They do not want to discuss it. 
And it's also generally older people. I think the younger generation is much more interested in discussing why this is happening, what the lesson is, and how we can prevent it from happening again. Uh, Rain, weigh in on that. Well, I think it's, you know, I think this whole thing is, I like you said, it is nature's way of kind of telling us, like, we need to stop, obviously, exploiting animals because, like, the facts are saying, you know, it did stem from from exploiting animals to begin with. And I think that right now, like, is a really great time to start looking at, like, what we can do to prevent this from happening in the future. And um, I, I think like I was just you know educating myself a little bit more about it last night and I was watching um Earthling Ed's video about um about the like I think it was the USA Today that came out with an article like trying to say that he was spreading false information which which isn't true it is it was stemming from our use of like being around animals being bred a, a whole bunch of like animals being together in close proximity. And like, that's how we, we got the diseases from a wild animal live market. And I think that we should just start really focusing on how we can prevent this from happening. Like people really need to um, be informed that like this did stem from animals and this needs to be prevented in the future. I think we can really learn from this pandemic. Um. Just to give some perspective, what Rain is talking about is that Earthling Ed did a video, and he's a, a brilliant social media influencer, vegan. Um, he has many, many followers. And he basically just said the obvious, that this started from uh, the slaughter of animals in a live meat market in China, and so did SARS. And if you look at Ebo Ebola, and you look at all of generally, Back to the Spanish flu, which started either in a slaughterhouse in Kansas or in a farm in Kansas, that the overwhelming majority of these plagues that uh, hurt us start from animals and the overwhelming majority of the plagues that hurt us that start from animals start from abuse of the animals, generally in the food system. And so the USA Today did a whole look at this and said, well, he does have a point and agree with him on all of them. And then they found one where it wasn't the case. And they said, partly false. Instead of overwhelmingly true with one, ex one or with a couple of exceptions. That is the mindset, the carnist mindset. So Ryuji, you're in Paris. Paris is shut down. We're in LA. LA mm -hmm. is shut down. This has brought mm -hmm. all of humanity pretty much to a halt. Um, mm -hmm. Are we hearing the message as we cocoon inside our respective apartments and homes? What do you think we should do with this time to reflect? I think some of us are hearing uh, what the, what's happening. And I think what we got to do is we got to be more open-minded just generally as a society. I find that uh, a lot of us, and this is how I grew up. I grew up very close-minded uh, and I grew up not being able to think critically about things and uh, I think what's happening, and in large part, you know, it, it, look at the, the piece from USA Today, right? That's a perfect example of how when facts are uncomfortable or when scientific consensus is uncomfortable, 
uh, and it, it kind of goes against what we've always done or what we like or what we're comfortable with, it's very difficult for us to hear that. And I think that's something that we should all strive to change within ourselves. The reason that I became vegan, in my opinion, part of it is because I was open to change. I was open to being wrong about things. And I'm still okay with that today. If someone tells me that I'm wrong about something and they present evidence that I'm wrong about it, I'm going to be okay with that. And I think that's the mindset that we should all have just in our lives in general. I think it would not only help us in our personal life, but it would also help us make the world a better place. If we took this time to, of course, contain the pandemic and to do what's best to uh, help the people who are in need, but also to reflect upon, you know, why did this happen in the first place? What are the experts saying? What does the science say? And what can we do to prevent this from happening in the future? Then I think we'd be in a much better place. And why do you think, Ryuji, that the mainstream media studiously refuses to discuss this? Well, I think it's because the main, well, I, there are probably a lot of forces at play. I think for one, the way that I understand it, and I might not be 100% accurate on this, but this is how I understand it. I think mainstream media has their certain agendas and their certain objectives that they have to attain. For example, uh, they have to make sure not to make too many people angry, or they have to make sure to be advertiser friendly. And I think that that incentivizes them to talk about certain things and to not talk about certain things. And uh, I think that's a big part of it. Also, I think a big part of it is that the people who are in charge of running uh, mainstream media companies or news outlets, uh, they themselves, they're human beings too. And so maybe they don't like uh, what the facts present either. And they're like, you know what? I just don't want to talk. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to talk about it. So there are probably a lot of forces at play to, to make that happen. And those two things might or might not be the case in, in various degrees. I think what we got to do as, as individuals and as citizens of this world is to make sure that if something is not covered by the mainstream media, then we got to do whatever it takes to, you know, if we feel like we're up to uh, changing mainstream media and changing the, the media system and doing something about that so that they talk about the things that are important, then we should do that. Uh, if not, we should do what we can do as individuals to talk about what we feel is important and to make sure that it's heard. So uh, I'm looking at comments. We've got a lot of positive comments, people who are saying, yeah, this is important information. Now we have one person and we welcome you wherever you are in the journey. A lot of times, some of the best things come out from people who have critical comments, and then it, it's dialectic, argument and counter-argument to reach a higher understanding of the subject matter. So Gifford Day says, political BS. What do you say to that, Ryuji? Uh, what, do you, what do you mean by that? I, I don't really understand what you mean by that. But, uh, you know, if, if you're saying any sort of BS on whatever what we're talking about, then what I would invite you to do is... Don't take our word for it. I, I don't like anyone who's listening. I don't think you should take our word for anything that we're saying. Just verify it yourself. Mm. Look at what the facts say. Look at what the experts say. You know, I think we're all too quick to have our own opinions on things. And that doesn't help anyone to have our own opinions. And it doesn't help anyone to, uh, to, to listen to something and just accept it for fact just because that's what we want to hear. And I would even urge you to question what we're saying, because obviously all three of us on the line right now, we are vegan. So does the idea that uh, COVID-19 originates from a meat market, does that serve our cause? Yeah, it does. And should you think about that? Yeah, you should think about that. But that being the case, ultimately what you should do is look at what the foremost experts say. Look at what the authorities say. 
and then judge whether you can trust those authorities. But think about it yourself, do your research, and uh, be critical about it. That's how I try to look at it, even though, yeah, there's a part of me that I want to very easily accept this because it does help my cause, quote unquote. At the same time, I, I don't want to let that limit me from thinking critically. So if you call BS on what we're saying, then fine, but do so by doing your own research, not just because what we're talking about makes you feel uncomfortable or because you've heard someone else say something else. You know, just be open and, and think about it for yourself and look into the facts. We are here having a conversation across continents. We have Ryuji Chua in Paris. I'm in LA. Rain is in Los Angeles at a different location. And you know, we're talking to artists, activists. Ryuji is an incredible pianist. He is also a videographer. Uh, Rain is a, an incredible uh, artist. She draws and she's also an activist, and she also has a day job, but we don't need to talk about that, but she's got a regular job. And uh, so we're getting their perspective. Now, while we're on, I wanna ask Ryuji, what is Paris like? Uh, we have seen these images around the world of famous um, locales, like for example, the Eiffel Tower, um, completely empty. Um, what are you seeing? Because here in LA, what I am seeing is, yes, things are empty and the wildlife is coming out. We have, I've seen egrets flying in pairs. I've seen herons. I've seen all sorts of wildlife that I hadn't seen before and they're behaving differently. They seem to be happier. They're doing all sorts of movements. I was just in the Bayona Creek uh, checking it out. And I was like, there's something really different in the air. Now, um, when we retreat, nature comes out. What are your thoughts on that, Ryuji? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's probably true. I've seen that in many parts of the world. I've seen the photos and videos. Uh, and I think, I think it's pretty cool. Now, in Paris, I'm not sure exactly. I guess I haven't really noticed that. I haven't seen that on the news or anything. I haven't seen it out my window. I've been staying at home a lot, so it's not something that I've observed firsthand. But when we do retreat and nature comes out, um, I mean, that is something that I've personally observed. I mean, just peripherally seeing. Uh, and what it makes me think about is how, you know, we're very quick as humans to judge other species of animals and to label them things like invasive species. And I always thought that was very ironic and very self-centered of us because if we look at it historically, we are the ones who have invaded their territory before they inv invaded back the territory that we took from them in the first place. So I always felt that we were really the invasive species. Um, and I think that, you know, when nature comes back that way and the animals or the wild animals are, are kind of claiming a part of their territory. I mean, I think it's a beautiful thing. I think we should look at that as, you know, I think it's great that they have this space and uh, they're able to be themselves. You know, ultimately that's the world that I want to see where animals can just be themselves. So um, yeah, that is definitely something I think from the animal's perspective, at least, uh, the ones that are coming back and, and having space and time and uh, fresh air, I think that's a huge positive for them. Yeah, we're, we're starting to see some positives. And again, and Gifford Day says, you're going to stay inside till April 30th? Yes. I mean, aside from walking my dogs, which I have to do, and I'm very careful, um, I am going to stay inside till April 30th. Uh, I, I certainly uh, don't want to be a victim of this, and I don't want anybody else to be. But I certainly feel like um, I'm not I, I'm not participating in what caused this. So I doubly, triply, quadruply don't want to be a victim of it. 
So um, what I am wondering is, as we cocoon, what can we as a culture learn? And given the challenge that the mainstream media doesn't really want us to learn anything from it, nor does the business world. They want us to come out and start spending just like we did. They want us to come out and, and you know, the slaughterhouses are open despite everything else being closed. They keep the slaughterhouse open, even though, for example, Consumer Reports did a study a few years ago that found 100% of ground beef contains feces. 100% of the hundreds of pounds that they sampled contains feces. Here we are trying to keep our homes surgically clean, and we're bringing in food that um, contains feces and who knows what else. Um, also, there's a new call today to close down all live slaughterhouses in the United States. This is breaking news. We're going to take a short break here on Voice America Radio. We're going to stay live on Facebook, and we are talking to and rain. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Are you ready for provocative discussions with some of today's most powerful movers and shakers? Tune in to The Art of Significance featuring Dan Clark, the modern-day Napoleon Hill, who interviews the wealthiest, most successful celebrities and business leaders on the planet who are using their influence to change the world. From authors to entertainers, sports figures, educators to military leaders, Dan covers multiple topics. Tune in every Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Jane Velez Mitchell here. We've got a very ambitious uh, broadcast today. We've got Ryuji Chua, animal activist, videographer, pianist, and all around, I would say, brilliant person in Paris. And his partner, Rain Bruno, who is an incredible activist and artist here in Los Angeles. And we've got breaking news that just came in from Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, ban live animal markets. And I'll just read the opening headline again. Physicians Committee is calling on the Surgeon General to use his authority to ban live animal markets in the U.S. and to seek agreements for the same action internationally. Uh, They plan to submit this this week. COVID-19 takes a toll uh, on people who are obviously whose health is is compromised. And uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the leading expert, uh, predicted that coronaviruses are likely to occur seasonally, like influenza. So we in New York City alone, there are 80 
five live animal markets. There are live, thousands of live animal markets coast to coast in the United States. So Rain, as an activist who is, bears witness at pig vigils and cow vigils where you give love and water to animals who are going into slaughter, do you think this is a good idea to ban all live animal markets? Absolutely. I mean, obviously, I always look at it from the victim's perspective and um, we shouldn't be exploiting and killing animals, you know, from their perspective because they want to live. And, um, you know, going to the slaughterhouse and bearing witness at these places where the animals are are crammed, they're on their own feces, they're in very close proximity with each other, some of them are trampling each other. It's just it's just an awful, disgusting, horrendous, horrible, horrible thing that's happening to them. And um, it's almost in a way, I feel like on our species, it's it's like this whole thing is is almost like it's like karma because we're we're literally exploiting and murdering so many innocent beings. And, you know, as a result of that, you know, I it's we're catching this disease from from us putting them in these conditions in the first place. So I agree. Uh, I agree that I don't know if I believe technically in karma uh, because bad things happen to good people all the time. Uh, In fact, I used to have a license plate that said KRMA when I was much younger. And then not being the world's greatest driver, I would maybe cut people off occasionally and they would yell bad karma. So, um, (laughs) I, I got rid of my, the license plate. Uh, now I have a, a license plate that has the word vegan in it. But um, <laughs> peace by vegan, Ryuji Chua. I'm glad I'm, I'm amusing you. Talking about from Paris. What do you make of this idea to ban all live animal markets? I mean, China has banned them, at least temporarily. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a good idea to me. Um, again, kind of like Rain said, I also look at it from the, from the animal's perspective. Now, looking at it in the context of this pandemic, it's absolutely a good idea, being it the case that this pandemic is thought strongly to have originated in a meat market. So banning similar things to what caused this seems like a very reasonable thing to do. Uh, In my opinion, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, but (laughs) seems like a pretty reasonable thing to do. That being the case, I also think it's, uh, and I think it's a good opportunity to reflect upon how at the end of the day, we as human beings, we act very selfishly. If this is even being considered, and it has happened, say in China, well, we've got to think, why has this happened? Well, it has happened because if we didn't ban these markets, there would be some danger to human beings. Meanwhile, meat markets have been open for all these past years, for since forever, it seems. And this entire time, meat markets have never been a kind place for animals. It's been an extremely cruel place for animals. And if you want to understand why, well, you just got to put yourself in the animal's perspective. Would you like to be an animal in meat market? Probably not. And so why is it that it ha- like things have to have some sort of negative consequence for us in order to think about it and eventually even consider doing something about it? If something causes harm to non-human animals, it is so difficult for humans to come together and do something about it. And I think this is a good opportunity to reflect upon that because it's exactly what's happening. 
I, people, oh, go ahead, Rain, go ahead. I think branching off of what Ryuji just said, another thing that I think we should really be considering is that, you know, this virus has killed thousands of people maybe. And over the past, you know, year, we've killed billions of animals, billions, billions and billions and billions. And like, like you said, you know, we're so, we're so focused on what harms us as a species. And we're so selfish in that way when we're always like, oh, we have to, we have to do this because, you know, it's, it's hurting humans. But I think that the undertones of species, speciesism in our society is really apparent in this case because it's like we care so much about all these uh, these this few thousand these few thousands of people that have died right there's there's maybe a few thousands of people that have died but we are like so quick to mourn them when there's billions and billions and billions of animals that are being murdered every single day and we never even talk about them we don't even, we don't care about them. Yeah. I mean, there's this whole new perspective called speciesism where we have, at least as a species, grappled with unfair treatment of other people based on their race, on their ethnicity, on their religion, on their uh, sexual orientation. And so our movement is about expanding our circle of compassion beyond just the reaches of our own species to other, other species who have eyes, who have hearts, who have ears, who feel loneliness, who feel terror, who feel pain, who are so much more like us than they are dissimilar from us and who have different kinds of intelligence than we do, but they have tremendous intelligence. How does how, how do my dogs, how they've always known that I'm coming to the door long before I get to the door? You know, um, humans aren't capable of that. So they have a different kind of intelligence. So um, Ryuji, do you feel that this is an opportunity for the human species to start thinking differently about the animals with whom we share our planet? I sure hope so. I sure hope we realize that as human beings, we're not the only beings who live on this planet, that we too are animals too, after all, and that every other animal who lives on this planet is an earthling with whom we share this planet. I hope we do realize that. And about that comment you made about expanding our circle of compassion, that's how I've always thought about it too. But I think one thing that I'd like to clarify for anyone listening out there is that you know, because when we say, okay, let's expand our circle of compassion, it seems like this very nice, kind thing that we're doing. And sometimes people will tell me, well, as a vegan, you're a vegan because you care about animals. And it is true. I care about animals. I want people to be compassionate towards animals. But I want to clarify that what we're talking about here is much more basic than that. It's not about being kind to animals. It's about doing the very minimum thing that's right for them. And if we think about what is the first right that we have as human beings, it's the right to life. And animals don't even have that. And when we look at animals who are used for food, people say, okay, everyone says I'm against animal abuse. But where that becomes kind of ridiculous is when people think that uh, kicking an animal in a slaughterhouse is abuse, but somehow killing them is not abuse. That seems very backwards. It's like, well, you know, 
we should give them the best treatments, but we can kill them. When really killing them is the worst form of abuse. I mean, what could be more abusive than killing an animal we don't have to? And uh, so although I do think that as a species, as human beings, it's a beautiful thing to expand our circle of, com of compassion. And I really advocate for that. At the same time, I think it's important to recognize that what we talk about as animal rights activists is not expanding our circle of compassion. It's just, it's just, let's just do the minimum thing that we could do for other beings with whom we share this planet, which is leave them alone. And if we can live without harming them, let's do that. It's extremely basic, it's extremely simple. And I do hope that we do use this time to reflect upon that and, uh, and, and really come to not just understand that, but put that into action a little more or well, a lot more. You've just sparked a thought in my mind, which is as we ask others to reflect, we also have to reflect. I've been mm -hmm. reflecting. I've been reflecting on my needless consumption um, even during this crisis, um, I started to really realize when I hit bottom, see, it had to impact me that opening the boxes was more of a hassle than, than going without whatever it is I had ordered. Obviously, we're, we had to order some food. I had to order some food um, and various other things. But I would say calling my own inventory, taking my own inventory, there were a few things that I ordered that I really didn't need to order. But I told myself, oh, I need to have these. Who knows how long this is going to go on? And then opening the boxes became such a hassle with the gloves and this, and I've got to sanitize this and sanitize that. I hit bottom on it. I hit bottom. I was like, I don't want this. This isn't fun. So I had to go through my own process to realize, you know, it's like just like alcoholism. And I must say, in um, two days, I will be 25 years sober. And, yeah. you know, alcoholism was fun. Then it became fun with problems. And then it ended up just problems. And so when it's almost like a mathematical calculation has to occur with either each person and the culture as a whole, this is more trouble than it's worth. What, if you wanna boil down my entire spiral to hitting bottom and getting sober 25 years ago, minus two days, and it's one day at a time, is I, it stopped being fun. It was, it, it stopped having any fun. It was just a mess and a nightmare. So, this is what's happening with our consumption of animals, that we made it fun culturally with the turkey at Thanksgiving and blah, blah, blah. We created rituals around it. And then it became fun with problems. We got heart disease, obesity, um, uh, cancer. Processed meat is officially cancer-causing, according to the World Health Organization. Heart attacks kill one out of every four people. Heart attacks are caused by arteries to the heart getting clogged with plaque, which comes from cholesterol, which only exists in animals. There's no cholesterol in vegan products, for example. So we started to see the backlash and now it's just problems. Eating animals is just problems. The question, Ryuji, is are we gonna be a high bottom or a low bottom? And that's recovery lingo. A high bottom is somebody who hits bottom before they kill somebody on the freeway, before they lose their job, before they lose their house, before they lose their car, before they end up in the gutter.
Um, you know, I made a complete idiot of myself at numerous parties, but I didn't lose all that. And thank God I didn't hurt anybody physically, you know, driving, driving uh, under the influence. So are we as a culture, a high bottom or a low bottom? Because if we don't listen to this message now, the experts are saying it could mutate and come back as something else that could be even more deadly. Yeah. I mean, I sure I can't tell the future, so I don't know what we're going to be. But what I think I can weigh in on is there's this phenomenon. I forgot what it's called, but this phenomenon where as human beings, we instinctively prioritize short-term pleasure over what could be better for us in the long term. Um, and again, I, I forget what this is called, but this is something we do all the time, which is why sometimes, and everyone can probably recognize this somewhere in their lives, well, we do things that feel good in the short term, but we know that by doing that, we're putting off things that we should be doing that's going to help us in the long term. And what it seems like is happening is that that's what we have done as a society. You know, eating animals, animal products in the short term can be very gratifying. I understand that. I've done it for like 20 years, so I get it. But at the same time, like you said, it has caused us a lot of problems. And it has caused a pretty much infinite cruelty towards animals. And I don't even think we can quantify that. And I think that's, uh, you know, being it the case that we have come to this situation right now, it does seem like we have failed to see this. We could have seen this coming. We could have fixed it. But I think that as individuals, as a society, we were too short-sighted and we were looking too much at what feels good right now. What do I want to do right now? And we failed to take precautions that could have avoided this mess that we're in. And I think that that's something that we can strive to change in ourselves, in our society. So I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but I think that's, you know, again, the best that we can do is we just reflect and understand why did this happen? Not just understand it from a societal perspective, but how did I contribute to this? How can I take responsibility for this? Even as I'm saying this, I'm thinking about this because I'm thinking about how can I apply this myself? Have I been a part of the problem? Well, probably. Okay, well, what can I do to be a part of the solution now? Uh, and I think if we all started thinking that way, uh, I, think, I think the world could be in a much, much better place. Absolutely. And I mean, when you really look at it, it reminds me of maybe other turning points in history where... Uh, the message didn't get through, okay? I'm always very careful to compare animal suffering with human suffering because people will come after you and say, how dare you? As if it's so horrible to be compared to an animal. We've demonized them so much that if you compare animal suffering to human suffering, you get this incredible blowback. Why? Well, let's, let's clarify this. We get blowback from unreasonable people. I think people who are reasonable and logical and rational can very easily understand that an analogy between human suffering and animal suffering makes sense. And I think what happens is that unreasonable people are loud because when you have poison inside, you just want to share that with others. I don't know why that happens, why people do this. I do not know. I don't relate to that, but that seems to be the case. You know, I certainly had people come at me for making such analogies, but I've also had many people to whom it made sense. And so for me, I always think about who do I want to reach? And look, as much as I like to reach everyone, 
I don't think I can do that. I haven't found anyone who can reach everyone. And so no matter what you do, some people are not going to be happy with you. So for me personally, I choose to reach people who are reasonable, who are logical, who are able to think for themselves and think critically. And if you are a critical thinker and you are open-minded, and like you said, you don't demonize animals, well, it's not offensive to compare animal suffering to human suffering. It's just very reasonable. And again, for people who are reasonable, even them understanding that that some people are really uh, put off by that, really shine a spotlight on how, like you said, we have demonized animals and we find it so offensive to be compared to an animal. When really, when you think about it, I think as a as species, you know, a lot of animals have done so well. Actually, all animals, pretty much, like every animal on the planet, has done less harm than humans. We have done more harm to living beings as a species than any other species that's alive. And I don't even think we can, like, if we put the if we put the numbers on a scale, it's like you couldn't even see both numbers. Like the amount of suffering that we inflicted upon others is so much, so much higher that you could even spin it the other way. Like, I think it's a compliment to be compared to an animal. I know? do too. And again, some people, will be, some people will be angry about that. But the thing is like, both those statements, whether you find it a compliment or an insult to be, uh, to be compared to an animal, both those things are equally race using that, that logic, right? But really what's relevant is who are we as individuals and who are animals as individuals? Like you said, we are sentient beings who have emotions and feelings and personalities and families. Uh, we have hearts that beat. We have brains to think. We have eyes to see. And we feel pain. We suffer. And so do animals. They also have all that. And so that being the case, there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to compare each other. The only reason that we, we see difference between us, even though there are things that are different, for sure. Of course, there are differences between us and animals. But if you think about it, the rationale that people use to, uh, to justify those differences is the exact same rationale that humans have used to create difference between different human beings for all of history. Exactly. So again, I think it's about time we same recognize the patterns, rationales. we think for ourselves. Yes. And, uh, yeah. So if you look at situations where uh, people have literally gone to war, like the Civil War, over a, an injustice, and did it have to take a Civil War? Yeah. People don't necessarily just do the right thing because it's the right thing, and they wake up, and they say, mm-hmm, okay, this is morally wrong. I'm going to do the right thing starting this morning. No. There has to be a consequence in most cases. So this is a consequence. But are we hearing the lesson that is in the atmosphere? Or are we just being 100% reactive? Sure, we're being reactive. It's important. I have a mask. I have a mask that I wear. I even got goggles. (laughs) But the point is, yeah, because somebody said, oh, these masks... A friend of mine said these masks are, are, are useless without protecting your eyes because your eyes are the ones that can also get the uh, droplets. And he said, you should wear goggles. If you're going to do it, do it right. So, yes, I've only worn them once but I because I really felt quite idiotic, but I did put on the goggles once. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's we've gotten to a point of absurdity. The human race is so bent on doing things willful, willful, 
Self will run riot. That's what it is. Till the point now we live in an absurdist society where people have to put on uh, goggles and a mask to go outside. Okay? This is the society that we live in where, here, this is what we need in order to function. Okay? This. And if, if you're telling me that this is an okay, sane society, okay? <laughs> That this is the same society and that we're crazy for telling you that you don't need to eat animals. Leave them alone. Nature is sending us a message to stop this. If you can't see that this is the craziness, not being a vegan, then the human race isn't as smart as, as it likes to think it is. I mean, this is a clear-cut message. And, and the absolute refusal to to look at it reminds me of where I was when I was hitting bottom on alcohol. People tried nicely to tell me, Jane, maybe you had a little too much, you know, and then a little bit more forcefully. Well, I'm not going to, I'm going to break up with you if you continue drinking. And then it took you know, in my case, it was making a complete fool of myself at a party where, where all my friends and colleagues were. Thank God, you know, it wasn't something a lot worse. But I woke up feeling incomprehensible demoralization. Who was that person? That person was me. Oh, no. And then I had a moment of clarity. And this is what we need the world to have is a moment of clarity. We don't need to behave this way. It's drunken sailor behavior to kill 70 to 90 billion land animals, not including fish, every year because we feel entitled and we want our barbecues. You can have a barbecue with veggie burgers and vegetables. I do it all the time. It's delicious. Everybody has a good time. You can still have your Thanksgiving. You can still have your holiday meals. You can still have your Easter. Nothing is being taken from you. But if people don't do the math and connect the dots, then what? We're going to take a short break. This is our last break. And then we come back and discuss it. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 
It's time to unlock some of the best kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We get Guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. We have an extraordinary show today. We're talking to Ryuji Chua from Paris, France. And we are also talking to Rain Bruno from Los Angeles. They are partners and they are incredible artists, each in their own right. Rain is a great pencil artist. I don't know what's the official word for ink. that. Ink. Uh, I use ink. Ink yeah. artist, yes, pardon me. And Ryuji is, I found out accidentally, an incredible pianist, studied, uh, could be a professional pianist, but also an incredible videographer, has worked with the Rowdy Girl Sanctuary, p- uh, promoting great, putting together great videos, and also is a great social media influencer. So I'm talking to these two very smart, visionary young people about what, where do we go from here? You know, um, Okay, using again the addiction analogy, when polite nudges don't work, and maybe the person is able to continue on. Like the question is, this week is going to be pivotal. Are we going to prop up our economy, try to do come out of it the same way, over-consuming uh, and eating animals, and then wait for the next you know horror to come down the pike, or are we going to learn? I don't know that society is ready to change. Uh, this is maybe act the beginning of act two right now. We don't know exactly how, you know, where this is headed, but if it's, if it's contained and everything goes back to normal, quote unquote normal, which obviously those us, we consider that abnormal. Um, then what? Because I mean, it doesn't take a genius to realize that the less than a third of the earth surface is land. We have a finite amount of land we are using a disproportionate amount of it for animal agriculture. Uh, literally, thirty-seven uh, percent of usable land in that neighborhood is used for cattle grazing, and then all the crops that you see out there being grown—they're not fed mostly to people; they're fed mostly to farm animals. Seventy uh, percent or more of all soy is fed to farm animals, and ditto for a lot of the other staples. Um, so we're using up this finite resource. The corporate structure is growth, growth, growth. You have to keep growing, growing, growing. But there's a finite amount of land in which to do that. So it reminds me of when you have a bunch of rats take over an island. And this is not speciesist. This is just what happens, sadly. They will continue replicating. And then when there's too many of them, they'll cannibalize and then they'll all die. I mean... Do we as a species start realizing the fundamental simple math of you can't infinitely continue to use more of a finite resource? 
Ryuji, are you there? I am here. Yes, please weigh in on that. Uh, well, that's, you know, that's a good question. I do hope that we realize that. And uh, yeah, like you said, I think that uh, a lot of the problems that we have today, we can just figure out some, at least some, some sort of basic solutions based on just thinking about it logically. Like you said, obviously the earth is a finite resource and uh, we can't use it forever. That seems to make a lot of sense. Um, I think what we should do as individuals is look at the problems in the world and look at uh, the problems that we are facing as a society right now, but perhaps always, and then think about what we can individually do about it and recognize that it's not always up to someone else to solve all the problems. Because I think what can very easily happen is that we all look to someone else to solve the problem and we all say, okay, it's up to them. It's up to the government. It's up to the big companies. It's up to these people. It's up to the activists, like wh whatever people think. And do all these people have a responsibility in doing something about it? Of course they do. But so do you and so do I. And I think that's what we should think about a lot more as individuals and as a society is how can we play as a team to create a better world for everyone? I mean, wouldn't that be cool if we all took some time to think about what can I do to make the world a better place? What can I do to help the world not face such a problem again? I think that would be really cool. So I think if we all started asking ourselves these types of questions and really working together, and if whoever you are, if you do feel strongly about, say, for example, oh, so-and-so about it, then that might be the case. And I agree. I don't disagree with you. But I'm also saying, if they're not doing that, then we can't just complain about that. We got to actually go make that happen. What we can do about it, I'm not sure. I don't have the answers to all the problems for sure, you know? But I do know that unless we all start taking more personal responsibility, I don't even know if I would say more. I would just say, unless we start taking personal responsibility for what's happening in the world, then I think it's going to be very difficult for us to change and ultimately create a better world for everyone. So that's just what I would encourage everyone to do. Yeah, go ahead, Rain. I think, you know, touching on that, um, a really good example of, of kind of what you just said happened the other day. I was talking to my mom and um, my mom was saying, you know, you're an animal rights activist. You should post this thing about how shelters are filling up because people are misinformed and think that, you know, their companion animals have COVID-19. So they're just dropping them off at shelters and it's become a really big problem. And you should post about this. It's your responsibility to like share this and show everybody. And I was like, okay, yeah, that may be the case. I, I want to do a little bit more research on that to see, you know, if that's, if that's really the case, like, um, and just look at sources and see. But that being said, you know, she, I told her, I was like, if you think that this is a problem and, and that you want to see companion animals not be sent to shelters, you should post about it. Like, if it's important for you to get that message out, you should post about how, how this is affecting companion animals and and you should make that clear to your followers because it's not just my responsibility as an activist to do that well i i probably will be will do that i'll do research and and do that but if she th thought that that was really important um i told her i was like you know you gotta you gotta make sure that that message is very clear as well it's i hear you i'll do our parts i hear you loud and clear first of all if you feel that they're animals and they're, they are in crisis, they're killing a lot of animals in shelters across the country because people can't go to the shelters 
Well, I adopted, I fostered this little one uh, from the shelter uh, and Beagle Freedom Project brought her to me. And look at this little face, five pounds. I call her Tiny Aww. Dancer. Oh, so if you're, if you're upset about what's happening to animals in the shelter, foster or adopt. You probably have room in your home. Is it convenient? No. I've ha I'm trying to potty train this little one. But you know what? She's an angel. She deserves to have a life. She was obviously dumped or got lost, but she was picked up as a stray off the street. You can't see a cuter face in this. My other three rescues have adopted well, too. Rico's a little jealous, I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> in fact, he might be looking at me right now, giving me the stink eye. But uh, the fact is that, yeah, instead of telling somebody, you should do this, you should do this, um, you can, you can do it. Mm -hmm. And so personal responsibility, we've got only two minutes. Let's get a caller in Paige from California. Your question or thought Paige. Yes. Hi. Uh, hi everybody. I just wanted to say that I was driving downtown, um, and I happened to go by a slaughterhouse and the shock and horror of seeing all the slaughterhouse workers walking back and forth in and out with no coverage, no you know, stay at home. They were at the bus stops and walking across the street and so forth. And what it says to me is the demand for the meat is still high, huge. And these workers have to go in and do this job, this horrific job, as if there is no pandemic going on. You know, the, the, the government is telling all across the world, stay at home, shelter, be safe. But not for these slaughterhouse workers. It was maddening. So my point is, okay, now I know that we put out a show about plant-based foods. Those two were guests on the show. And the thing of it is, how do we pivot people to wake up and see this so that these slaughterhouse workers and other workers that are working in the industry of the meat, dairy, and eggs, who are still out there putting their lives at risk? Well, Paige, thank you. And I know you were practicing social distancing when you stayed in your car and you drove around. You didn't get out. Um, this is a subject we should do a whole show on. We need to do a subject, a show on that specifically. Um, it's unbelievable uh, that the one thing that keeps going is the very thing that caused this, which is the slaughter of animals. Um, we have to wrap it up. I want to thank two incredible young people, artists, activists, visionaries. You're my heroes. You're the future. Rain Bruno and Ryuji Chua. Ryuji is in Paris. Stay safe, both of you. And uh, thank, you. thank you for lending your wisdom. And um, let's see, maybe we'll have you back as this, we don't know how long it's going to go on, but at yeah, least till April 30th. Thank you so much for having us. Yes. Thanks for having us, Jane. You guys are great. Um, so as we wrap up, let's, let's use this time in isolation to contemplate. I am. Can we do things in a better, more compassionate, kinder way? Can we use less resources? Can we stop pillaging the world and learn other ways to get fun, pleasure, and satisfaction other than killing and overconsuming? That's really the challenge. So we'll leave you with that. Have a great one. See you next time.
Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.